0: How blessed we are, not only with seeing new spiritual lives on their way, teaching us even in their faith, but seeing brand new little souls welcomed into our family. Let's pray together. Almighty and wonderful God, you have shared with us a sacrament the sacrament that is holy and reminds us reminds us of our own calling you have shared with us the excitement and the tenderness of bringing forth the very best that we have our first fruits our children and placing them in your care we pray, God, that this morning in word, in prayer, in song, and all that we do, our hearts will be opened wider to receive your word. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. In the beginning there was no name for God, and no need for a name for God, because every creature and every all of creation knew. That there was something beyond themselves that was. When Moses asked for a name to give to Pharaoh, because Pharaoh would ask, Who sent you? God responded to Moses and said, Tell him, Is sent you. Sometimes as translated as, Tell him, I am sent you. But is actually resonates closer to the original language. Tell them, Is sent you in the beginning there was no name for God there was simply a relationship between all of creation and God these days we run the risk sometimes of letting the is of all creation become nothing more than a name so we ask ourselves when did God become more than a word to you And a corollary question would be, when did Jesus become more than a name to you? The name may be one you grew up hearing as part of your daily life, for some of you. For some of us, it was something that we came late in life to. Maybe it was a name that you heard mentioned on special days like Christmas and last Sunday, Easter but whether it was by a gradual understanding or a bolt of lightning coming out of the sky, somewhere along the line, your spirit awakened, awakened to the truth that Jesus is more than the name of someone who lived 2,000 years ago. I think it's one thing to hear the names bandied about in conversation, argued about, talked about, but quite another to understand that God and Jesus are far more than a word or a name. One of my favorite, one of my very favorite theologians is uh, Walter Bruner, Emel Bruner. And I remember reading once when I was in seminary, sitting at a table, and it, I read it and it just took hold in my mind. I couldn't let it go. It said there is no possibility really of talking about God. You can only talk within the circle to God. If you're talking about God, you're not really talking of any merit or worth. That stuck with me. That means that nothing we can say about God Makes sense unless we are in God. Just like in the beginning, God cannot be defined merely by a few consonants and vowels. At some point in our life, God becomes personal. And because the story of Jesus is so impressive, I mean, God among us, God speaking in a language that we can understand, God acting in a way that heals and helps and saves us there is a danger that we will be impressed, but only be impressed by that name. And as the spectacular dimension of this story slowly or suddenly dawns on us, as we begin to get it more and more, we could easily become enthusiastic spectators and then let it go at that, sit on the sidelines. We could become admirers of Jesus Generous with our oohs and ahs and our tears. And in our better moments, be inspired to imitate him. And it could end there. So it's Luke's task to prevent that. To prevent us from becoming mere spectators to Jesus or fans of the message. Luke makes it clear that these Christians he wrote about were no more spectators of Jesus than Jesus was a spectator of God. I hope you get the implication of that. The cost of loving and being obedient to God. They are in on the action of God. God acting in them. God living in them which means also of course in us in the second half of acts 2 peter speaks to a crowd of people gathered in the holy city of jerusalem after the resurrection and all of the dust has settled peter has finally found his voice our scripture today is from acts 2:14 and 22 through 32 But Peter stood up and, backed by the other eleven, spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. Fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man thoroughly accredited by God to you. The miracles and wonders and signs that God did through him are common knowledge. This Jesus, following the deliberate and well-thought-out plan of God, was betrayed by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you. And you pinned him to a cross and killed him. But God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for him. David said it all. I saw God before me for all time nothing can shake me he's right by my side i'm glad from the inside out ecstatic i've pitched my tent in the land of hope i know you'll never dump me in hades i'll never even smell the stench of death you've got my feet on the life path with your face shining sun joy all around and then he goes on to say dear friends Let me be completely frank with you. Our ancestor David is dead and buried. His tomb is in plain sight today. But being also a prophet and knowing that God had solemnly sworn that a descendant of his would rule his kingdom, seeing far ahead, he talked of the resurrection of the Messiah. No trip to Hades, no stench of death. This Jesus... God raised up, and every one of us here is a witness to it. The reading of the word. So it's the day of Pentecost when Peter is speaking, when the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised before his death arrives in full force, tongues of fire and a forceful wind. And in the tongues, all the languages represented by the multitudes of folks gathered within earshot and beyond. You may not have remembered this, but Pentecost was an important festival of the Jews long before it was a Christian commemoration. So they had come, Jews from many nations had gathered from as far away as a thousand miles away. They had come to gather for this Pentecost feast. Thus, you can only imagine that many of the Jews to whom Peter spoke had not been eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and death. They may have never even heard of Jesus of Nazareth. So this was an important day and an important opportunity Others had been in Jerusalem at the time of Christ's crucifixion, death, and resurrection, but they struggled with the consequences of the aftermath of these life-altering facts. To them, Jesus was a name, but so far, not much more than that. So there are people there that are a lot like the people we know, people who have never heard of Jesus and people who have only heard of Jesus but nothing more. All of you, listen up, Peter says. This Jesus whom you crucified is more than just a name. He is more than a prophet. He is more than a man. He is the Messiah with a capital M. The Holy One proclaimed by David and our other prophets Peter says, this is, this is the one, this is the Savior for whom we have been waiting for generations. Every single one of you is a witness to this truth. Whether you saw Jesus with your own eyes or are now hearing the good news for the very first time, you are a witness of what I am telling you today. And then he says this, Let Jesus be more than a name for you. Let Christ be your Savior. Hear with your heart as well as with your ears. Then you can proclaim Jesus as Lord and you can know the joy of Christ's amazing grace. For multitudes gathered in that Pentecost crowd, I I want you to know, that it may have been an experience like a sunrise service. For the first time, feeling that sunrise over the horizon, the way cleared. And not just feeling that, and seeing the sunrise, but feeling the sun's warm, glorious beams break through the chill darkness of night. Jesus wasn't dead, God is alive. The Bible says that the people were stirred to the depths of their soul. The Bible says that Peter's words pierced their hearts, touched their hearts. How long has it been since something pierced your heart? How long has it been since the sacred and the holy broke your heart in half for another the good news broke through the barriers that day of language and culture and religion and social stature. It was, it was an archetypal story of what is possible in the kingdom, that every person, regardless of where they come from, what they look like, how they grew up, is in need of this news, this good news. All of this pierced the people to their very hearts, Because that's what the good news is supposed to do. The good news pierces your heart. The good news breaks that shell that we've put around it so that we're not hurt, or we don't offend or we're not angry. It pierces that and and lets this warm, beating, compassionate heart out. It says that 3,000 people were baptized that day. And honestly, we... The, the numbers in Scripture are always a mystery. We don't know how many people were baptized that day. It could have been three times as many. We just don't know. But what we do know is that the percentage of folks whose lives were changed forever was enormous. Just like the percentage of these who lined our steps today, The percentage of these 17, 18 with new little soul who presented themselves to us is enormous in our gathering. But we know that the number of new believers was enough to clog and and slow the flow of the Jordan River and make everyone around stop and pause and wonder. You know, Peter's impromptu speech that day, this speech that he makes, and we make a lot out of it because Peter didn't do so well with the warm-up. Didn't do so well before the Lord was um, crucified and was a little scared after Jesus was raised, and yet here he comes forth. But this is only the first of nearly 30 speeches like this in acts, speeches with boldness and with courage and with confidence of the truth, and it launches the church like a like a, a rocket ship with the ride of a lifetime straight ahead, and the church is still is still zooming right out there with its mission mission control in Christ and we know that there's no going back now, at least not with the good news to share there's no there's no way that we can sit and be passive now with this good news hanging over us like this wonderful silver lining we can't sit still the jews from egypt and and mesopotamia and crete and arabia and rome and many other far-off places those jews took the message of christ with them when they left jerusalem to return to their homes that's how it all gets started One person tells another person. That person tells two more. Those two tell four more. Four more tell... What would happen? I wonder, I often wonder, what would happen if every single member of our church showed up on one day? And what would happen if every single member of our church actually showed up with a friend? A person who had never heard. A person who didn't belong anywhere. What would happen Why, we'd be running around like chickens with our heads cut off and with the greatest joy imaginable. The custodians and and all those who make everything happen would be frantic, and the pastors would be jumping with joy. So the church began, but it wasn't confined to one city. It was spreading far and wide, and with every time they shared the message, It startled everyone they heard. It was brand new. Who knows how many more lives were changed along the way of them just journeying back to where they came from and how many more were changed when the word got out. And listen, over 2,000 years later, we continue to have a message that startles and disturbs and transforms. We continue to have that same message. And how far do we travel in the world? How many people along the way are transformed because of because of our lives and our witness and testimony to this startling and incredible good news that is new news to so many people? Unfortunately, without tending and nurture and commitment our faith can lose that sense of awe and wonder. And our worship and our service and even the name of Jesus can become very mundane. Something that we speak without excitement, without thrill, without anticipation of anything extraordinary. And our commitment slips down to being in between all the other commitments. This isn't a new problem. This is an old problem for us. That's why we have to be vigilant and diligent, and it's worth it. Listen to Revelation 2 as the writer speaks to the churches of that time. I write to inform you of a message from him who walks among the churches and holds their leaders in his right hand. He says to you, I know how many good things you are doing, I have watched your hard work and your patience. I know you don't tolerate sin among your members, and you have carefully examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but aren't. You have found out why they lie. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. That sounds pretty good. That sounds like a healthy church. Then he goes on to say this, Yet there is one thing wrong you don't love me like you did at the beginning. Think about those times of your first love, how different you are now, and turn back to me again and work as you did before. Have we lost our first love, even though we're doing everything that a church should do? Perhaps Peter's words and acts are not only a listen-up, call to the people in the crowd, but a wake-up call to those of us who are hearing the good news for the first time, for the tenth time, for the thousandth time. Every time we hear and receive the good news of Jesus Christ, it's Pentecost all over again. We are set on fire with the thrill of it. I hope you are. I hope that the fact that you belong to a risen Savior thrills you every day of your life, that you wake up and you've been given a new day to love and forgive, to make a difference. I hope that is thrilling to you. Just as the disciples were lit up by the flames of the Holy Spirit on that very first Pentecost celebration. So the question to ask, therefore, may not be, When did God become more than a word? When did Jesus become more than a name? Maybe those aren't the questions. But rather, how is God more than just a word to you now? How is Jesus more than just a name to you in this moment, at this time in your life? You know we pray so that we can be worthy of magnifying the name the holy name except that before God's holy name we mumble in awe and timidity we we don't feel worthy and in God's holy name we can hardly utter it we can hardly Say, loving parent to all orphans, the son who is crucified and risen, the spirit who blows where it will, creator and maker of all that is, redeemer who frees us from the power of death and sanctifier who blesses us with betterness. This holy name that causes powers to tremble and angels to yield, this holy name that causes chaos to settle and death to depart and feverish anxiety, to grow quiet. We know that we aren't worthy to utter this holy name, let alone alone enjoy this relationship. But with all of that, God has entrusted us with the holy name. We have been called as God's witnesses to this name. God has empowered us to be good news messengers so that God's kingdom and power and glory may be made large in our times, in our places, here and now, made very large. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.